Welcome to Out of the Ordinary, the show that helps you grow a daily life that matters. I'm Christy Purifoy. And I'm Lisa Jo Baker, and uh, today I am back after three weeks all the way down south. Yes, you thought I was here, but I wasn't. We had pre-recorded episodes, and now we're catching you up on what was going down the last three weeks. That's right, and it's so funny. You've come back from South Africa, Lisa Jo, and helped me see my own country with new eyes. So thank you for that and looking forward to sharing this conversation. Get comfy. Here we go. Well, Lisa Joe, this is the first time in a few weeks that we have sat down to record face-to-face because you have been with your family in South Africa. How are you feeling? Are you jet lagged? <laughs> I know. I'm like jet lagged, culture lagged, language Every lagged. Every kind of lag. <laughs> My children, it'll actually be interesting to see what um, listeners say if I have a stronger South African accent than normal, because when I talk to my children, especially Micah, I remember him saying to me one day, wow, mom, wow, what is going on with your accent? (laughs) I think you just assimilate. It makes sense. It makes sense. If I go home to Texas, which, you know, doesn't happen very often anymore, but I remember if I'm around Texans, I can feel, I can feel these cadences and these words like coming back. And I realize, oh, it's all still in there. Even if in my usual day to day life, I can't access it. But wow, if you get around that, those voices again, I mean, it's like hearing a, a song that you know really well and it starts to play. So, of course, you're going to sort of start <laughs> singing along. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. I know for our listeners, it feels like we've just been keeping you company the last three weeks, but actually, I have been down south all the way in South Africa for three weeks, home with my family. And in our family, we also speak a combination of languages. And there was one day early on where my parents we're having this extended conversation in Afrikaans and it was, um, I feel like it was medical, about medical stuff. My dad's a doctor. So there was verbiage in there that was sort of medical and it was about the business and the practice that they're running together. And I sat and listened to them. And then afterwards I said, Oh, wow. I, I understood every word of that. That's so weird. Like you just realize your ability to speak a language or to have an accent or to fit into a culture. You just your chameleon right back into your roots. So my children did struggle with the time change. So South Africa is actually um, in the summertime, it's six hours ahead of America. And my one son, Micah, struggled to make that connection initially. And I kept getting phone calls from him at like three in the morning. Oh, no. and, and then he would also, so then he didn't want to bother me, but he would just send text messages, but they would just be the names of items of food he wanted me to bring back. So they would just be like, they're like grocery list reminders. So at like three in the morning, my phone would go off and it would just say, don't forget chutney. Things like that. (laughs) That's great. Uh, So if you, in one sense, language-wise, accent-wise, you slipped back in, but I know now you're feeling the effects of jet lag and you mentioned culture lag. Does it work the same way coming back? Like, do you, are you just slipping right back into your American life or, or? Maybe no. it doesn't feel quite so easy. I know. Well, I actually think you just coined that term when we were talking before the show started, and it's such a perfect one. So jet lag is when your body clock is still on another time zone. So I've this first week home, I've been waking up at like four in the morning, which is like 10 a.m. South African time. But by six or seven at night, I'm finished because it's like one in the morning then. So your body takes a little while. And I think you were the one saying that for every hour of time difference, 
it can take you a day to acclimate back. So it's taken me almost six days to feel like my body clock has reset. But what I wasn't expecting, you're right, is that sense of, I mean, culture lag, you know, some kind of jarring experience where you move between cultures, especially when you feel like you belong to one culture. So I, I really have become Americanized. I'm aware of it. I sound American to my family. When I went home, I felt the most American I've ever felt. It's been four years, the longest ever since I've been home. And, um, but after three weeks, you start to slip into South African culture and South Africa. Let me just tell you, listeners, it is far away from America in every possible way. It is down, down, down the southernmost tip of Africa. So when you're coming from North America, it is very far. The plane ride there, the direct flight. So I took a connecting flight from Baltimore to Atlanta. And the flight from Atlanta to Johannesburg, South Africa is 15 and a half hours long. It's a direct flight. So that it is far, you guys. When you land, you are aware of feeling like you're on the other side of the world. And what I forgot is that you then integrate back into that culture. And it's this really great window. It's like putting on a pair of glasses that helps you see yourself and the culture you're coming from in a whole new way. So when you come back, and it's a longer flight home because of the headwinds. So it's a nearly 17 hour flight back to the States. And you land back in America. And I live just outside of Washington, D.C., Yes, Christy, like culture lag is a very real thing where I just sort of wanted to just hide in my house for the first few days and not leave because it felt so overwhelming coming back into American culture. Mm, that's true. Yeah, American culture and also, you know, big city East Coast right. culture specifically too. Yeah. So you're sitting here with your American friend and I know you're going to be very nice <laughs> and polite in your conversation, but also I'm really curious to hear like what does feel different or, you know, help me see what you see and what yeah. you feel. Well, I mean, I am American, so I have an American passport. You know, I'm American through and through. I have American kids who are, um, who struggled that I was gone without them. And I was there because our family's just going through some difficult things that sometimes you just have to be in, you have to be on the ground to be part of the fight, you know, to just help them and be present and love them in person. Um, but it was really difficult for my kids not to come. And it was funny because this time coming back, they've sort of been like protective of their American side because when I come home now I'll make yeah. comments like oh this coffee's not the same or this chocolate doesn't taste the same or oh I can't remember which side of the road to drive or oh the traffic's so crazy or whatever you know and I'm not trying mm -hmm. to be critical I'm observing but they are like I mean well we do live outside of DC mom yes this is the capital that's why it's busy here da 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 like they're oh, very protective they're feeling defensive or like wanting to <laughs> it's so cute so I'm like no that's no sweet. you guys I mean of course I love America but I mean I'd love to start with some of the simple things like so one of the things you and I talk about a lot here is ordinary life, right? So uh, live a daily life that matters, like that matters to us a lot. And so we talk also about the material aspects of daily life. And by material, I simply mean like the physical world we interact with on a daily basis. So one of the most important anchors for you and I are good cups of tea that we love to slow down for. And I just remembered going home to South Africa. I mean, tea really is a ritual that breaks the day. So one day I went with my father into work. He's a, a 
medical doctor and I went into his consulting rooms and uh, he introduced me to everybody, the different staff members. And then uh, one of the staff, he said, and, you know, this is Elizabeth. And uh, if you need tea, just let her know. She'll be happy to make you some. So, of Aww. course, right. And I said to Elizabeth, no, no, I can manage it. And I sat down at one of the desks. I was waiting for my dad. And the next thing, there comes Elizabeth with a cup of tea. And, you know, what kind of sugar do I want, white or brown? And it there isn't even an option of milk. So I know in the States, often you don't drink milk in tea, but in South Africa, it comes with milk in it. Like that's assumed. Oh, okay. <laughs> As it should be. I, I, I approve. <laughs> so there's just this ritual act of tea time at 11 in the morning and four in the afternoon, often at places of business, people pause for tea. And I think that's just a good example of how different the pace of life in the two countries and cultures are. I think, um, I do think, of course, I'm making generalizations, right? Because I'm on the East Coast of America. So if I lived maybe in Mobile, Alabama, it would be different. Um, but here things feel really fast. And, and to be fair, I mean, my dad's family, they have kids the ages of mine. They're doing hockey practice and they're, you know, running back and forth to school stuff. They're doing the pickups just like we are. A lot of that is the same. But there's also a sense in which um, you can't have everything right when you want it immediately, the way it feels like you can here. And there's a sense in which, um, I don't know, this is probably a generalization, but I was trying to explain it to my 10-year-old. But in the States, I really feel like we value function over form. This idea of um, getting things done well, rolling things out, you know, on a national scale or level, whether that's a restaurant chain or a business idea that you have, um, the shopping malls or the strip malls are designed for functionality, for quick in and out. Whereas in South Africa, they really do seem to prioritize form over function. So, um, even small little strip mall areas or big malls just to my eyes, seem more beautiful. They're aesthetically more appealing. They have the advantage, of course, that they have perfect weather all year round, okay? Right. So they don't have to <laughs> deal with, you know, being prepared for cold and how do, how do the people manage when you're coming in and out of parking lots with slushy ice? Like, we don't have to think about that. So the malls are probably a lot like they are in California. They A lot of places in the mall are open air and there's lots of plants and trees and vegetation and outdoor seating and a slower pace just to everything and a sense of really valuing how things look, uh, what the experience of the consumer is when they're interacting with that space in a way that I think isn't trying to get you in and out quite as quickly. I One of my favorite things to do when I'm home is just go to a grocery store. It's Pete's favorite thing. Our store we always go to near us is called Pick and Pay. <laughs> oh, and, wow. I've never heard of that. I know. Of pick course not. Pick and Pay. You pick and then you pay. It's one of the biggest grocery chains in South Africa. But what I was surprised by when I was there again is just how limited the choices are. So you can get everything that you need. It's not like being in Soviet Ukraine, which I've also experienced. It's got everything. It's beautiful produce, high quality, but much less. So I was looking for like makeup wipe removers. My my mascara was always smudged and I was like, oh, I should probably just get something. And I kept missing it. And I realized it's because it wasn't an entire aisle. So if you go oh. to Walmart, like there's an entire aisle of beauty products, okay, and facial cleansers and whatnot. There, there's literally like 
if you're looking at a bookshelf and you think of the width of like one vertical section of a bookshelf, that was it in the whole store. And there's maybe four products, four or five of these makeup wipe removers. And I was like, oh, there are like three choices here of the <laughs> super simple. And, um, and I, I just was reminded how that frees up, at least for me, a lot of brain space. Like I am not constantly overwhelmed by how much there is to choose from. I don't constantly have some new brand telling me what serums are in XYZ product that's going to change my life. Just having a quieter grocery store experience is a good example of how the culture is very different, I think, than what I experience here. Yeah, well, if listeners have have already listened to, was it not last episode, maybe the one before, (laughs) Christy's New Tuesday Rhythm, Mm -hmm. um, you'll remember that, yeah, one reason I've enjoyed my warehouse warehouse shopping recently is exactly for that reason because the it limits choices and so i can do some grocery shopping there without that existential burden i tend to find <laughs> in the normal yes. grocery store start questioning the whole meaning of life as i wander you know <laughs> trying to choose between you know canned tomatoes or something so yeah i can really relate to that and i'm realizing that yeah so i i absolutely live in this culture of abundant choice in terms of you know consumption in terms of grocery shopping or clothing my family or you know right just just things to buy there's so so much and so i have i think as i've grown into adulthood i have adopted and sort of learned certain habits that have that are like protective that kind of protect me from that onslaught that constant onslaught of buy this buy this choose this so i have certain habits like i I, you know, I do shop in certain places, so I I would love a Costco or if I have access, a Trader Joe's because it's smaller, there's fewer options. Um, You know, some people I know, I don't have an Aldi. If I had an Aldi, I maybe would choose that. So, it's about, you know, maybe where I do grocery shopping. I set up certain rhythms for myself so that I know, you know, there's this local, we have a lot here. We actually have a lot of choices of farmer's markets and, and Amish markets and places to like buy locally. So many that I I have just had to choose. Here's my one where I go every Thursday and I pick up our fruit share and I buy some veggies. And there are like a dozen other places I could go <laughs> to buy local produce. And I just don't. I just say, this is, this is mine. This is where I go. And it beca- becomes routine. And so I realize I do that in a lot of ways. I do that with information. You know, I just decide. These are my sources. This is what I trust. This is how I get a variety of information. I do it at these times. You know, I read this one. I read two papers. I only read them on Sundays, right? I mean, it starts to sound fussy, like I live this fussy life, but it doesn't feel that way. It's just these habits that I think I've developed over time in order to not feel constantly overwhelmed so that then I have space for the stuff that actually maybe is more important, like paying attention to the people in my life or being creative and creating things every day or doing my work as a writer, you know, podcasting with you and so on. But you have to leave space for that. Um, Another thing I have done, and this is, I'm going to just admit, like this is a, a privilege that not everyone has, but um, but I did even start it, you know, at a time even when like our family budget was very tight and we often, you know, we really needed to look for good deals for basics and things. 
But even then, I had to give myself permission to not find the best deal on everything. I just had to tell myself, you can't do that. That is a full-time job. (laughs) That will take your whole life. And you just are going to have to trust that God will provide and you're doing your best and you're going to try to be wise and you'll look for, you know, sales and good deals. But you're just personally, I knew my soul couldn't take that responsibility on of always having to find the cheapest price for every last thing. And I still do that. Even though we have a little more cushion now in our family budget, I still kind of try to hit that balance of like being wise, not being reckless, and also just giving myself permission to buy something that we need without figuring out can I get it cheaper anywhere else? I've just had to say like that that's something I personally haven't been called to like spend a lot of time in. So it's just, you know, it's these personal discernments. But isn't it interesting? Like this is how I've (laughs) kind of learned to live in the culture I am in um, without, you know, that that constant overwhelm. And I I bet Lisa Joe, you know, so other people may feel it in other things, not so much maybe in choice. So you also mentioned like the pace of life. Maybe other people feel it more there. I bet there are there are ways that all of us could sort of step outside for a moment, almost take on some culture lag like you're describing and really look at things and saying, do I have to live this way? Could I live a different way? Am I maybe created to to live a slightly different rhythm? What would that look like? And all of this comes back to our ethos here on the podcast of like, how do we cultivate a daily life that matters? I think it's I think it's by paying attention to these things. Hmm. Yeah. And I mean, in South Africa, by no stretch of the imagination is an ideal. Clearly, it's a culture also that is, you know, struggling with centuries of incredible racial oppression. And you still see those disparities significantly across the country. It's very difficult. You have these stunningly beautiful malls, and then you have people cooking on an open fire by the side of the road, like right next to the mall. There is this incredibly difficult gap that that, you know, believers are trying to figure out how do you how do you bridge this? Like, what does that look like? How do we continue to do that? Um, but it is also interesting to be able to travel to a place that sees the world differently, that experiences the world through a completely different lens than we do in the U.S. And I realize, like, you don't realize that what you are consuming in America is an export good, you know, like when it comes to like news or culture or media or press or evangelical faith expressions, all of that is being exported, right, across the globe. And so when you consume some of that from a different culture, it really makes you open your eyes in whole new ways and say, wait, 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 like, why am I just wholesale accepting this as the norm? (laughs) Like, what? What's happening? And I, my kids always talk about that, like when you've traveled, you can't unsee, they always say, you can't unsee what you've seen in different countries. And I think it was just a reminder to me not to be as defensive as I think we tend to want to be about our own culture, our own news, our own you know, teachers, preachers, platforms, all of that. It made me want to just have a new set of eyes a little bit and not get caught up. I thought a lot about that fairy tale where the emperor has no clothes on, you know, they stitch mm-hmm. him a suit of nothing and he doesn't realize it because everybody just goes along. It the great thing about traveling and anybody who's done this to any country is, you know, it really opens your eyes to ask questions of your own country and your own culture and the things that we just assume are a baseline good to be willing to say, are they like, 
to ask questions about them. And I think it made me ask questions of my South African family too, you know, things that they think of as norms. What, well, how, how do you understand that in the context of, you know, apartheid that just crumbled 20 years ago? Like we had lots of conversations about that, about pay and wage disparity, about, you know, the poverty gap and how do we close that? What does it look like? What, how do we make sense of this as believers? Like how do we go to big churches that are on the hillside right next to huge squatter camps built out of plastic. Like there's an entire area in Pretoria called plastic land because there are people squatting under just essentially they've built homes, little tiny shacks out of plastic. And so that's the thing when you straddle two cultures, you suddenly have like this huge upsurge of questions for both cultures. And I think that's been the hardest part when you come home when I think about culture lag, that's how it is. You have this clash of these two cultures. You've stepped into both of them. Neither is ideal. Neither is perfect. Each one has something to offer the other. And then you're kind of in the middle trying to stand with a foot on each of those. And <laughs> you, if you're not careful, you just want to like crawl into bed and go to sleep and watch Netflix when you wake up because it's too much to figure out how to process it. But I think the biggest takeaway, it always just reminds me, and I've said this on the podcast years ago, but it's a good reminder. It comes down to this one sentence. I have to tell myself, God's first language isn't English, you know, and I think we we are reminded of that. Like when I go home to South Africa, where there are 11 national languages, people are thinking and speaking in so many languages. It's so interesting to watch my parents. My parents have four adopted kids, and uh, they will often speak Afrikaans to my siblings who all just reply in English. It's the strangest <laughs> thing to watch. So like, and nobody thinks it's weird. Like everybody thinks that's totally normal. And so it always just reminds me, oh, God's first language isn't Zulu or Tswana either, right? Like God's first language isn't the language we live in. And so anytime we're pushed into somebody else's language and somebody else's view of the world, it's at first disorienting. And secondly, just really good, I think. It makes us pay attention. And I think that's what we try to talk about on this podcast, like paying attention to the ordinary things. I mean, South Africa, that's as simple as things we take for granted here, which is power. Okay, so South Africa has what they call rolling blackouts because the power grid that's run and government state owned cannot manage with the number of people using the power. You just have blackouts every now and again, just accepted every night. So like I was at my brother's house, we're putting kids to bed, all the power goes out and he's like, oh, shoot, I forgot there's a blackout tonight. I mean, things like this would not be acceptable <laughs> in America, you know. And uh, it just it teaches you a lot about a government, a people, the things that are positive about what American capitalism has done. You know, that wouldn't be acceptable. And so that's why power is not in the hands of the state. <laughs> like, but it is disorienting to come home to and just there's no way one person can make sense of all of that. And I think for me, it's been saying to the Lord, okay, you see all of this, how unique, like you get a tiny sliver into how God sees all of these different cultures and people groups operating. And I think as an American, just outside of Washington, D.C., it's it's just good to be reminded that while we might think we are at the center, we are in fact not. And um <laughs> It's just a good thing. It's a good to it's good to remember that in the world we are keeping company with lots of cultures who experience life and faith very differently than we do. 
Yeah. And maybe if in some ways we are at the center, what we're exporting is not maybe so valuable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Right, because I think we might be at the center. I mean, I think I yeah, America is what, is it okay to say it's the new Rome in some ways? It's exporting yeah, yeah. roads and goods and culture and language all over the world. But it, uh, we might be at the center, but maybe we have to work hard at not being the center. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, an example of that would be, like you mentioned, I think, before we start recording that, you know, your family there, the young ones, the teenagers know so much about American culture, because of social media, films, TV shows, and so on. Whereas my children, I'll just be honest, have never expressed an interest in South African culture, right. more yeah. than any other place. I mean, they would be interested to talk to you and learn about your place. Sure. Absolutely. But but they don't come to me, oh, mom, I just would love to go to South Africa. Right. And I saw this movie and it showed me this and we don't have right. that here. And I would, that, that hasn't come up. And that is, I think, a, a, a result of our kind of cultural centrality that we sort of think, oh, this, this is the world. <laughs> when right. You're right. It, it isn't the whole world. And in some aspects, it may not even be manifesting the better, <laughs> the better, <laughs> the better parts things. of American culture. I know when my yeah. teenage siblings are like, on TikTok, I saw this girl doing a Walmart run. Is Walmart really that great? And I'm like, how do you know about oh, Walmart? No. That's so weird. <laughs> Walmart is great, but still. Yes, it was yeah, right. strange, like even compared to four years ago, how much they knew about American specific elements of American culture that I would never have imagined they knew about it and they wouldn't have known about five years ago, you know, pre-TikTok. But now they wanted to know about Target and Walmart. And um, they asked me about specific foods from America or candies because they've watched people do taste tests with those things. And you're right. Like, no one's doing that, you know, to do with South African candies and things right. here in the States. But it does make you wonder, like, what on earth are we exporting to the rest <laughs> of the world? Yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned Burger King. Like, I guess there's Burger King now. I know. It's like, <laughs> I know. It's so sad to me that Burger King is now in South Africa. And my daughter, of course, was like, why is that sad? It's literally called Burger King. It is the king of burgers, mom. You should be proud that it's in South Africa. <laughs> I was like, why would I eat at Burger King in South Africa when I could go and eat at the local place right next door? It's crazy to me to watch this proliferation of American fast food or Oreos. You know, they're like, Auntie Lisa Joe, we got Oreos for you. And I'm like, why? Why would you do that? It's like, why would you buy me Oreos? <laughs> I come from the land of Oreos, man. Like, I would like yep. to stock up on something else, which is why we should talk about food because we love food on this podcast. So I traveled to South Africa with an entire suitcase of gifts from here. Year, and I returned with an entire suitcase of essentially groceries is the best way to describe <laughs> it. Like every kind of Cadbury's chocolate under the sun that you can imagine, every kind of uh, sweet, you know, like fizzy, sugary candy you can get. Rusks, which are the baked biscotti that we love so much. Tragically, they're nearly finished already. Uh, tea I came back with. I also came back with like a ton of like uh, basting spices and sauces and seasonings for burgers and ribs and chicken and um, mm. just so much good food. So much fun flavors of home. You know, South Africa is a place of really strong spices and flavors. And if you've eaten at Nando's here in America, that's a South African 
American export, actually. So that peri-peri flavor that originally has Portuguese roots, but it is a South African chain, you have tasted some of the flavors that we like. So we're trying to pace ourselves because once it's gone, it's gone. But my South African family thought it was hysterical that I was bringing home like braai salt, which is like barbecue salt. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so great. So it makes me wonder... I'm going to take a leap here, but so as you were sharing before, I was thinking, well, this in-betweenness that you describe, you know, you're in-between American culture and South African culture, you're noticing maybe what's good or not so good about each, and and I think that's what we're saying. We're right. not saying one is better, right. we're just saying, oh, maybe this culture is better at this, this culture, oh, th- this, this is working better over here. Um, it's just that ability to sort of see, you know, with new eyes, and I was thinking as you were sharing, well, you know, this is actually probably how we're all of us as Christians called to have eyes like that is because we, and this is, this is such a common belief. It's almost cliched, but I think it's worth digging into it, but the sense of having a kingdom citizenship. So Jesus, you know, God became incarnate in Jesus and announced, you know, the kingdom of God is here. Basically like I'm here, I'm taking over, you know, are you, are you coming along? <laughs> and, and those of us who believe have said, yes, this is where, you know, I want to be in this family. I want to be in this country. I want to call, you know, Christ's kingdom home. Like that's what we've essentially said. So inevitably then we probably shouldn't feel entirely at home <laughs> in an American culture or a South African culture, which is some of what you've noted, like, oh, we had these conversations about some some hard realities. And as believers, you know, how do we respond? I think that is what we should be doing in both places. But now I wonder, you know, part of what makes us feel at home in those cultures are these cultural things like the groceries, the flavors, the tastes. And, you know, without trying to take the metaphor too far, I sort of wonder, like, what are, what are the, what is it in kingdom culture that helps us feel at home there? What is it that we say, oh, yes, this tastes like home? Um, And I can imagine it is sometimes around the table when we're feasting with friends. Maybe it's the communion table at church. I mean, I I imagine that actually food is a part of it, bread and wine, but it's it's other things too, maybe less material. But I think that that'll be fun for me to think about. Just what are what are the the aspects of my kingdom home and maybe naming them so that I can notice them? Or when I'm cult, trying to cultivate my own daily life, I can be cultivating more that is kingdom culture rather than just American culture or Pennsylvania culture or whatever. Mm. Um, but kingdom culture, how do I how do I root my daily life in kingdom culture? And I think we're probably, many of us, doing that. We're doing it. It's just going to be noticing, oh, yeah, we do it in these ways. Um, but then noticing we, we can do more of it, right? Mm, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that is beautiful because it's easy, you know, need, initially my brain goes to the fact that, well, when we were in church in South Africa, we sang Waymaker, you know, which we sing here. But I don't know that that's kingdom culture. I still think that's American yeah. export <laughs> culture of praise and worship. Yeah. Um, but what we did do there too is we did worship. We did worship in other languages. Like there are other worship choruses I'd never heard before, but the act of worship is the same. Like we are entering into worship or I remember spending a night at one of my brother's houses and I was sharing about something in, in something I'm working on and he just like in the middle of the conversation just stopped and said, well, let's pray about it. Let's pray right now. And he just started praying out loud over me. And I thought, wow, that that's the same. Like that is 
it's the same but different. Like it's powerful to receive it in a different context. And I often experience God differently when I travel. Sometimes we don't realize how we have attached God to what's familiar for us. And so we experience God through the familiar, right? And then when you are outside of everything familiar, I I sometimes find myself sort of, I feel like I'm feeling in the dark, like, where are you, God? <laughs> like, how are you here today? Like, are you with me in this completely new experience I'm having? And he is, and he is other. I guess it's a reminder to me that I over-familiarize my experience of God and faith because I'm experiencing it through a cultural vehicle that's comfortable for me. But when I travel, when I'm on airplanes or in airports or talking to people in other languages, I am reminded of God's otherness um, and how in He inhabits and how He is comfortable in all of these places with all of these people. And it's I, Lisa Joe, who have to adjust. I have to have eyes to find Him and ask where He is. And then there he is showing up in prayer, showing up in families who are inconveniencing themselves to take care of one another or in, I mean, in the joy. I think South Africa always surprises me by its deep joy because it's also been a place of such difficult turmoil in history. When I landed, I walked into the bathroom at the airport and there was a lady working there and she grinned at me and she said, welcome to my office. Can I get you anything? And it was the most adorable (laughs) greeting ever. Like every person who walked into the bathroom, that's what she said. Welcome to my office. How's your day going? Can I get you anything? Just this like overwhelming sense of joy at the work she was doing. I think moments like that remind us that the world is full of the glory of God and we are in his kingdom. And it's I think we have to be careful not to become overly familiar with how we experience him because he is a God who has created this rich diversity that we live in, you know, whether it's Cadbury's chocolate that I love so (laughs) much more than Hershey's or it's tea time or it's how people approach their workplaces or what side of the road they drive on or what language they sing worship in. Um, I'm always grateful, I think. It takes me a while to work my way around to gratitude. Like I'm at first sort of shocked and exhausted and whiplashed. And then I'm grateful, like, because I remember again how, how much bigger God is than the view I have of him wherever I happen to be located at the time and how he's working. I think that's the other thing I realized. Oh, God is at work everywhere. Like God is deeply invested in humanity and what's happening in the world. And he, I think I also get struck with how it appears that God isn't afraid, you know, that he isn't and he isn't surprised. Um, he's delighted. He's at work. He's creating jacaranda blossoms, like a purple carpet up my father's driveway right at the same time when I get home here and there are all these leaves changing color lining our driveway. Like that's the same God that is holding both of those seasons and is making that reality happen completely different versions of it on two sides of the globe. And it's so beautiful, but it's the same God um, at work in this unique way that I forget, oh, it's spring in one country when it's fall here in another country. And as simple as that sounds, somehow when you walk both of those driveways and you crunch one day purple jacaranda petals under your feet and the next day orange and brown and yellow leaves under your feet, you suddenly become aware um, that God is holding all of this in his hands and 
how we are welcomed in. We are welcomed into what He is doing, not the other way around. And I think that's often what happens here. I'm tempted to think, we're doing this, God. Come along. (laughs) Come see what we're doing. And sometimes when you travel, it feels like God's going, look what I'm doing. See? Look what I'm doing. You get a tiny peek of His perspective. Oh, that's really great. I love that. Oh, gosh. God is holding both in his hands right now, those springtime blossoms, these autumn leaves, and it's all a part of one big story. And we're just rooted in the one, right? You and I, right now, we're just sitting here in a North American autumn, <laughs> but God's got this much picture, bigger picture and this much bigger place in his hands. And uh, we can pay attention to the particulars, you know, we can really be focused on autumn right now because that's where we are. But knowing like, it isn't actually the whole story. Right. More. And I think that's, That's really comforting. It's for anybody who feels overwhelmed today in North America, who just feels like the world feels loud and I can't keep up with social media or whatever the new iteration of the new faith thing I should be doing in my walk with Jesus. I just want to encourage you. That's not the whole story. <laughs> like that's one version that's happening here. And, and if you're in South Africa or you're in Europe or in France and you feel discouraged by your sliver of the story, it's just a reminder that God's perspective is so much bigger than ours. His story is so much richer. It's not limited in the way we think it is by tiny Instagram boxes or however you felt in your world today that it was small or limited or closed in, that God just isn't. And so, if you want to, you can check out on my Instagram thread. I have this great reel of jacaranda blossoms that you can come and see. And I think just take it as a visual reminder of how God is literally changing the seasons on opposite ends of the world, and they're all in harmony. And we can trust Him with that. We don't have to be whatever our current cultural hotspot is for faith. We don't have to be that. We can really lean into a quieter voice and uh, maybe a bigger story. And remember that we're a smaller part in a bigger story, which is somehow comforting. I don't know why. It's comforting to know we're not the whole story. So come find me on Instagram. I'm at Lisa Jo Baker. And you have to always go follow Christy for fall beauty. (laughs) And I'm at Christy Purifoy. And we've loved reading your reviews. They mean a lot to us. It helps other people find the show. So if you haven't, we'd love if you'd go leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And it means a lot when you share or you tag us on Instagram because you've listened to the episode. We just love other people to be invited into the conversation. That's how we think of it. Sitting around a table today, some of us more jet lagged and culture lagged than others, (laughs) but we sure do like getting to be part of the story with you guys. Mm -hmm. Thanks, everyone.